Hi, Medical Education Podcast listeners. This is Kevin Eva, the editor-in-chief of the journal, coming to you today with the pleasure of speaking with a couple of my own country folk, which sounds far too rural, given that the two of you are in Toronto, but I'm going to have the opportunity to chat with Sarah Wright and Victoria Boyd, who has just alluded to her at the University of Toronto, and have an article coming out in the October 2023 issue of Medical Education entitled First in Family Experiences in a Canadian Medical School, a Critically Reflexive Study. In order to get into it, Sarah Wright, maybe I can just ask you to tell people what you do in the big smoke, as we call it in Canada. Thank you for having us. I'm Sarah Wright. I'm an education scientist at Michael Guerin Hospital, an assistant professor at the Department of Family and Community Medicine at University of Toronto and also at the Wilson Centre. And Victoria Boyd, same request of you. Thanks, Kevin. Thanks for having us. I'm Victoria Boyd. I am a recently completed PhD student at the Wilson Center and IHPME at University of Toronto and soon to be postdoctoral researcher at McMaster University. Congratulations, first and foremost, then on that completion and your transition. That's fantastic news. Thank you. Uh, First and family experiences in medical school. I think everybody listening to this will know that equity, diversity, and inclusion are issues that the world has become more aware of the last few years than ever before. First and family isn't the first thing that tends to come up in those conversations. What was it that led you to think that should be a priority for ongoing research? So there was a couple things, I think. My PhD a long time ago now, used Bourdieu's theory as a lens to look at the admissions process in a UK medical school. And then when I moved to Canada, I noticed that there's a lot of the same types of problems. And so I always had that kind of Bourdieu lens that looked at the various forms of capital and how that influenced decisions around admissions. One of our co-authors is Cara Brosnan from Australia, and she and I actually met in the UK while both working on our PhDs. She now is in Australia, but we both used Bordia. And so this was kind of a project that the two of us worked on. She started it in the Australian setting, and then we did a replication study in Canada, but with a few twists. So we liked the first in family as a category. It's broad. It's not focusing, as you say, on certain types of groups, but we hoped that that group of participants might open things up to multiple groups who might feel disadvantaged or isolated in the medical school setting. So it kind of can tap into that socioeconomic piece, but also gets at some of the more cultural, more subtle things that you may not think about necessarily in terms of disadvantage. And what sorts of things tend to be associated with first and family in that regard? Just thinking about what you knew about this topic before you got into the study, were there particular observations from your work in the UK or elsewhere that led you to anticipate that the group would have interestingly different things to say compared to some of those other groups that you might have considered? Yeah, I think so. I think it's probably the Bourdieu influence where you're thinking about the forms of capital and how they all kind of build on each other. They're all interrelated. So 
if you have one form of capital, so say economic capital, meaning how much money do you have, chances are you'll have the other two forms of capital, cultural capital, which would be certain values and tastes and the way you carry yourself a bit, and social capital, meaning the types of people that you know, so social connections. So you can see how the three forms of capital kind of work together and create advantage and disadvantage, especially in systems like medical school admissions. So with this paper, we wanted to focus more on the actual experiences when first and family students enter the medical school. So I think that there tends to be a dominant culture in institutions or like in medical schools that is hard for people who are steeped in that culture to recognize. And we thought that the first and family group so this means that students who are coming from families whose parents may not have gone to university at all may not be as familiar with some of the ways of a university. And there are other groups that are way more familiar and comfortable in these settings. So we thought that this would be a good group to kind of help us look at our own culture from that point of view of someone who might not think it's so normal. That's helpful. I'd be remiss to not ask you to unpack Burju's ideas a little bit. And I realize it's a big question that I'm going to ask you to express in a few words, but many of our listeners may have heard the name, but probably aren't very familiar with the capital notion. So I'm wondering what you would say as the core essence of that theory. There's three key pieces, I would say. So there would be the three forms of capital that I just talked about. So the economic, social, and cultural capital, how they all kind of work together. And if you have one, then you tend to have all three. And there is what he would refer to as a field. So in a field, there's a competition for capital. You can think of medical school admissions as a good example of this, where people are competing to appear to have capital, so not economic capital, but you want to have the right things in your personal statement. You want to have the right things said at interview. You want to have the right forms of experiences. So my PhD work looked a lot at how private schools would convey this advantage to their students. They were in the business of competing for medical school spots because that looks good for them as a private school Therefore, they get additional prestige for being the private school that gets a lot of kids into medical school, which is a prestigious profession. What we found was that in the state schools, they weren't as involved in this competition. So Bourdieu would talk about that competition being in a field where people are vying for position and increased resources, i.e. capital. And then the third piece of his theory would be the habitus, which is a way of carrying oneself and certain attributes. And it all has to do with that inherited capital, your way of being, it kind of dictates what you think is possible in your life in terms of your trajectory. In this case, it would be, you know, so if you were a student whose parents didn't go to university, you may not think of yourself as someone who could end up in a medical school. So there's critiques of Bourdieu that would say that he's too deterministic in terms of putting people into categories. And we know that some people who don't have parents who went to university will end up in medical school. So his concept of habitus, I would say, is flexible enough to account for those, but also realistic enough to know that socioeconomic status is going to have an influence on 
the vast majority of people in terms of their ultimate trajectory. Thanks. And Victoria, you conducted the interviews, as I understand. What sort of prompts or questions were you using to try to get these first and family students to talk about their experiences? Yeah, so we kind of had three main sections of what we used to guide the interviews. And really, the goal was to get a sense of students' journeys into medical school and then throughout medical school. So we started by asking them, first, what does first and family mean to you to start to get a sense of their own personal and family backgrounds? And then we asked a little bit about their path to medical school. So, for example, why did they decide to study medicine? What was their experience of the admissions process? But the majority of the questions really focused on their experiences of being in medical school itself. So we asked things like, was there anything they found surprising or unexpected about medical school? Were there ways that they felt their experience differed from their classmates? So we talked a little bit about the admissions process to sort of contextualize some of the experiences that, that they had once they were in medical school. But really, we were trying to understand those experiences of actually being in medical school itself. For the interviews. And, and did they seem to recognize first and family status when they came in? I'm, I'm just thinking about you know, I'm first and family and I didn't actually ever think about that being a thing until I heard somebody use the phrase you know, long after I graduated. I'm just curious as to whether it's part of their identity uh, at this point in time. Yeah, that's a great question. I think in terms of the students we spoke to, there was probably a mix or a range in terms of how explicitly they thought about that as an aspect of their identity. But it was definitely something that when we put out the call resonated with a lot of students. And as we talked through the interviews, it became clear, I think, sometimes maybe more than they had even realized that it was such it was a defining factor of sort of their experiences, the way they saw themselves as an individual, as a medical student. And for either one of you, one of the unique aspects of your method that stood out compared to most qualitative studies which we receive is that you use theoretical sampling to recruit people who were not in your population of interest as a way of you know, sort of testing the ideas. What led you to believe that was an important methodological aspect for this particular study? I would say that Part of it was we tried to use critical reflexivity throughout the study and constantly questioned our own assumptions about everything. So it was a critically reflexive study. We thought to ourselves when we were analyzing the first and family data, are we sure that this isn't the experience of all students? Like, are these experiences unique to the first in family student population only? Or does everyone feel like a bit of an outsider when they come to medical school? So we thought of that as a possibility. And then we tried to think about what sample would be good. And with the underpinning idea of let's speak to first in family students because they may not be as familiar with the social and cultural pieces of entering a medical school. Let's talk to a population of students who will feel more at home. And Bourdieu would call this a fish in water. So the students who are from medical families who have always been around doctors, they will enter the medical school and feel like a fish in water and not recognize, they don't feel the water around them, he would say, versus the first in family, which could arguably be a fish out of water. 
And just picking up on one of the points of when you were discussing that other part, we grappled with this idea that in talking to the first and family students, we didn't want to further other them or make them feel, you know, in identifying them as a category, like you were talking about not recognizing that you were a first and family student. We didn't want to further other them and make them feel like they don't belong in medical school. At the same time, we wanted to be critically reflexive and turn the lens on the institution and say, it's not up to the first and family students to make themselves feel comfortable here. What can we look at about our culture, about our institution, about the decisions and policies and practices that we engage in and really think about how we might be advantaging or disadvantaging certain types of people. So having done that, let's ask you both to respond to this question. Actually, I'm thinking about your results. What stood out to you as most interesting, surprising, important. We don't have time to go through everything that you heard, and so I'll encourage readers to go and look up all the details, but what stands out to you as the thing that you thought was most interesting? I can go first. I think one thing that stood out to me as most interesting was around this dual sense of exclusion or lack of belonging that first and family students often experience. So both in medical school because of not feeling like a typical medical student, and also when they would go back home, not feeling like they fit into their pre-medical school lives. So sort of having to navigate this dual sense of, well, I don't fit in a medical school, I don't fit in at home, and trying to navigate that sort of shifting identity or shifting habitus that Sarah was talking about. And I think that's one area around professional identity formation that hasn't been discussed or explored too much. So that really stood out to me in our findings. I'm trying to think. I'm not sure that I was terribly surprised just based on the work by Kara Brosnan. And before that, Brenda Bagan did a study years ago, I think in the 90s, looking at some of these aspects. And we're seeing still some of the same types of experiences so it's not that new or surprising in that regard. But I think one thing is the strengths that students from first and family backgrounds bring that I think we need to do a better job at thinking about. They talked about being more resilient, being able to identify with and empathize with patients at a different kind of level than your typical medical student, for lack of a better term. and some of them talked about providing culturally concordant care. So it, I think that some of these things are things that we need to think about in terms of how can we, instead of looking at trying to make everyone like our typical medical student or the high flyers or whoever we currently recognize as the most talented or with the most ability or most promise, how can we look at some of these other factors that are really going to influence the patient experience? and getting more students in from these types of backgrounds, not to create a monolith because there's issues with that as well. Like not all first and family students come from poor backgrounds, obviously, and not all first and family students come from any type of specific background. So I'm trying not to generalize, but also to just highlight that there are different experiences that we can draw upon and that we need to figure out ways of valuing in our current system that tends to value the same things over and over. 
So your responses, I think, allude to moving beyond the deficit model that's commonly you know, considered whenever we're talking about you know, underrepresented groups and the struggles that they might face. How do the observations that you both just described influence your thinking about what medical schools might do to try to continue supporting and enabling the diversity that this work is encouraging? So I think one of the things is focusing on the strengths, but also thinking about it in terms of that competition for capital. So a lot of the students talked about competing for capital in terms of their CARMS. Sorry for anyone not in Canada, the Canadian matching system for residency places. So the students we talked to often brought up things along the lines of CARMS. So in medical school, you're competing for CARMS positions, essentially, and you're trying to get research opportunities, you're trying to get shadowing opportunities. And moving away from the deficit model and moving towards a model of critical reflexivity would think about the CARMS matching process in terms of why do we have these expectations around somebody needing to shadow a doctor that they need to contact and they need to have the confidence to contact them. They need to know that they should contact them. They need to potentially do unpaid research to put all of these things into their reference letters. So it would be thinking about why are these the things that we value over other things? And how can we build in the strength that different types of students, whether that's first in family or disabled students or racialized students, what are the strengths that they can bring and how instead of trying to get everyone on the same, here's all my research, here's all my shadowing experiences, how can we get to a place where we're valuing their lived experiences? As my last question, I'll maybe answer with that ongoing effort as well. Victoria, you said you're going off to a postdoc very shortly. Is this work feeding into the work that you're going to continue or the work that you did for your doctoral studies? What's coming next for the research team? So what I've learned from this project with Sarah will certainly inform the work that I'm doing. Absolutely. I think what really is key in this project is around the importance of bringing that critically reflective lens to the work that we're doing both as researchers and educators. So like Sarah was saying, questioning the ways that we've always done things in medical schools, the norms, practices, assumptions, like Sarah was talking about around the CARMS process, also around what we teach and how we teach it, which is what my work has focused on. So drawing on different educational approaches and thinking critically about the approaches that we're drawing on I think is one way that we can enact critical reflexivity in our practices. All right, more than enough to keep you busy through a postdoc and, and much longer. So I will wrap up by congratulating both of you on this work, saying they look forward to what you described is to come, and by reminding our listeners that the details and much more extensive argumentation is to be found in the paper, First and Family Experiences in a Canadian Medical School, a Critically Reflexive Study that is in the October 2023 issue of Medical Education. And Sarah, Victoria, thanks so much for taking the time to talk with me about it. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Thank you.